Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. When all of us read the statistics of people who start these things and then drop out, and they're enormously high, a key reason is it's not fun. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 283 of the Leading Learning Podcast, part of our seven-episode series on the Learning Business MBA. This episode features a conversation with Stephen Shragis, and it covers knowing your audience and what they value, partnerships, hiring staff, subscription models, and the importance of keeping fun and entertainment in mind when developing at least certain kinds of learning products. Stephen Shragis is founder and director of One Day University. Every university has a few professors who are wildly popular. One Day U works closely with those professors to develop the most engaging talks that inform and inspire adult students for a day. Jeff spoke with Stephen in September 2021. Well, I want you to tell us about One Day University. Uh, Just the name in and of itself, I think, should spark some curiosity uh, among the audience, but can you tell us a little bit about you know what that is, what it does, and then what your role has been with it? One Day University is 15 years old now, and for the first 13 and a half years, we were a live event company with the general concept, don't you wish you could go back to college? Wasn't it great? Wasn't it fun? Don't you miss it? But just the learning part, not the homework part, not the exams or studying or anything like that. And most people said yes. So we ran these events around the country where we'd invite star professors and we define a star professor as the ones students love to learn from. And a mostly 50 and older audience would come and enjoy it. The last year and a half, obviously, things changed. We don't run live events right now, or very few of them, but we pivoted to a membership system, an online system, and people around the country have joined and Five days a week, they get a new 50-minute lecture from some professor somewhere, either in their office on campus or near in their home, in their kitchen, in their dining room, on some different subject. Monday, it could be the Civil War, and Tuesday, it's Psychology of Happiness, and Wednesday, it's the History of Pizza. could be almost anything. Now, how did you decide to get into this business in, in the first place? Well, I was running a company called Learning Annex, which was a pretty big continuing education group. I was the national director, wasn't my company. And I wanted to try something else and do something on my own. I brought my daughter up to college 16 years ago. And that school had different professors spread around campus, giving a 15, 20 minute talk about what they teach. And clearly the school had chosen 
the most interesting professors to give these speeches was for the parents. And the parents all said the same thing. And I said the same thing. This is great. I, I wish I wasn't going back to the office tomorrow. I like it up here. And essentially, that's where the idea for One Day University came from that day. Bought the URL when I got home a few hours later. And as you grew, and this is, you know, before we get to the, the past couple of years or so, where obviously there have been some momentous shifts. But, you know, in the earlier days, you think back, you know, a decade or so, or however far you want to go, what did you find challenging, particularly from a business standpoint, about building a learning business, you know, reaching your audience, having making the right decisions about, you know, whether it's the content, the pricing, all of those things you have to think about? Running live events is somewhat challenging because people have to leave and go to the event. So we really didn't know what the pricing should be and how to present it. The only thing we were sure of is this idea of learning from the best professors appealed to people. The idea that college can be fun. And we were unabashedly saying, do this for fun because you're past having to learn for any reason. You know, went back and forth on how to do that exactly. We eventually ended up partnering with media companies around the country, almost all of them newspapers, where they would do the marketing for us. We'd put on the show, so to speak. And it just took off from there. And you've already mentioned, you know, a couple of times that it's really about finding the great professors, the, the people who are really good at delivering, facilitating the learning experiences. I mean, do you, did you develop specific criteria or approaches to being able to identify those people to be able to, you know, to source your talent, basically? Well, I'll say right up front, it's not that hard. It's not secret information. If I told you, let's talk tomorrow, you tell me who the most popular professor at Duke University is, or University of Michigan, or Florida, or UCLA, you turn on your computer, and you'd find out it's not that hard. They're the ones students are all talking about. And every school has two or three, usually not more. So locating those people by asking questions. In the beginning, we went to the campuses a lot, asking other people. There are rating, there are, you know, websites where people talk about professors. The schools post this information. They run articles about their most popular professors. They give them teaching awards. And so locating them wasn't that hard. And then contacting them was pretty easy because their email addresses are all on their websites. And did you find that, um, and do you still find that most of the faculty you approach are receptive to, to doing this? And, and I guess, you know, has that changed over time? You know, were, were, were they always receptive? Have they become more receptive to, to doing this type of thing? As we got better known, it really became even easier, frankly. Most professors have sort of heard of One Day University, even if they're not quite sure what we do. And they know, they know, you know, everybody likes being identified as one of the most popular professors at their school. We often say these people are like rock stars on their campus. They're not necessarily known off their campus. I could rattle off names to you, and most people will not have heard of them. They're not famous. They did, probably didn't write a number one bestseller, but on their campus, everybody knows they're a great teacher. And it turns out some are old and some are young and some are men or some are women. There's no one way to be a great teacher, but the ones that are, they know it and the students know it and we find out pretty quickly. 
And now let's go to that that pivot that you had to make, obviously, as the pandemic came along. You were traditionally live face-to-face, as you've said, but like like most learning businesses, you know, I, I assume if you were going to survive, uh, you had to make that kind of pivot. But what kind of thinking, what sort of considerations went into making that transition? You know, when did you realize we've got to do this and here's how we're going to do it? Here, here's what it looks like. Well, second week in March, we had just finished a weekend of running two or three events. We all know what went on that week. Everything started closing down. I remember thinking, well, you know, Broadway's open. Then the next day that was closed. And it's not like the NBA isn't running games. Well, the day after that, the NBA closed down. So we we knew we had to also. So everyone left the office and I said, I will see you all in a number of weeks. That's where we were. And did you at that point have to go out and like figure out what the what the technology platform was going to be? Did you have to hire different people? Well, at that, at that point, we were not thinking of doing anything. But then the government announced its PPP loans. And all you had to do was promise, keep paying everybody, uh, and we'll pick up the bill. So you can't say no to that deal. So we applied and got one in just two or three days. And now we had employees saying, what should I do? Do you need me to do anything? And all we did at that point was run live events. So literally, we came up with this idea of soliciting people who had been to One Day University live all over the country. We had their names and their email addresses and asking if they would like to join this membership program. And what we offered evolved a bit over two or three months. And the number, you know, many thousands that first week said, sure. The technology, because of this thing called Zoom, which we all know now, but we really didn't know two years ago, it wasn't that hard. We record people on Zoom. There are systems that are more professional. One's called Brightcove, which is what we used, I'm not the tech person in our company. We had people who knew more about this. Luckily, one of our top people, her husband was very knowledgeable about video production. He couldn't leave the house either. So he helped us build this thing. And within about a week, we were able to, to do what just you and I are doing and then record it and then send it out to members. There's software that's turnkey and People in the company figured out how to do it, and it just built from there. If you're looking for a turnkey partner to help your learning business with technology and more, check out our sponsor for this series. The COVID-19 pandemic catalyzed the merging of events and education for organizations across the globe. Organizations have realized that synergizing their education and event strategies produces immeasurable benefits, but they need a technology solution that facilitates that merge. Cadmium is focused on providing a full suite of technology solutions, enabling organizations to meet the changing environment head on. From a host of event technologies to integrated learning management and content creation, Creation tools, Cadmium offers everything an organization needs to generate revenue and drive engagement. Learn more and request a demo to see how Cadmium can help your learning business at gocadmium.com. Now, back to Jeff and Steven. How did you decide that it needed to be, or that what you were going to do was a membership model as opposed to, you know, selling courses one by one? You know, the membership model, the uh, subscription is, you know, software as a service and all these things. I read journals and papers just like anyone else. 
it just sort of seemed this is the time for that. This is a workable model. If you have to sell over and over and over, it's a lot harder than just getting members and promising them something. So we tried to price it pretty low. What we offered them, as I said, evolved after a while, but it just seemed a natural thing to do. We're obviously not the only membership company out there. There's plenty of them. Only recently did we now, we now have more intensive, longer courses that do cost some money. We call them premiums. And about 10% of our members tend to buy some of those as well. Tell me a bit more about the premium model, how that works and how you decided to add that into your, your offerings. You know, our story is, the lectures are 50 minutes, 5-0. And the question and answer period is 10 minutes on a chat roll so that people who have questions type them in. People's attention span is somewhat limited. You can't run a seven-hour course. So we came up with this one-hour, five-days-a-week concept, and you pick the ones you want. But then we found sometimes people said, you know, we were just getting started, and the professor said, okay, that's all the time I have. Or 40 people had questions and only four or five of them got answered. So we decided, you know, two or three times a month, let's go into more depth. We used to do this when it was live. We called them intensives. And the lecture was usually a full two hours. And the question and answer period was longer. And it was for period people who were very interested in this subject. They weren't going to take all of them, but they picked what they wanted. And we found a percentage of our students like to do that. But again, this just started a couple of months ago. And when you look out in the, the future at this point, I know nobody has a crystal ball, but you know, hopefully someday COVID, uh, all of the, the travel restrictions and everything else are, are behind us. Let's, let's assume they are. Do you think you will revert to the sort of same level of, of face-to-face or what, what does the mix look like in the future for you? I mean, we're trying a few live events here and there and an awful lot of people are not comfortable coming yet, even with vaccination rules and mass rules. So we're not going at this very hard right now. When, when it is safe, and I don't know if that's another two weeks or two months or two years. I, I don't know, obviously. When it is, we may try some very large events with lots going on, lots of professors in certain major cities so that the events are really carnival-like and learning festivals, so to speak. It's an idea we have always toyed with, never really had the time to think through. Now we've had the time to think through. So we think that's in our future. But if you ask me when, when is when Dr. Fauci gets up there and says, remember uh, the virus? Seems like so long ago. When, When he says that, that's our signal to move forward. A lot of organizations, a lot of learning businesses have not realized the potential of partnerships. And I know you've already mentioned it. Um, partnerships were important for you, are important for you. Can you talk a little bit about sort of A, how that came about? And then B, is there any guidance you would offer to anyone who wants to leverage partnerships to grow their learning business? You have to be unique. You have to be able to talk about your product. And I, I hate to call education or learning a product, but we're a business. We're a for-profit business. That's why we're doing this. We don't have an educational mission, except we like education, obviously. We're not NYU. We're not Columbia. So you really need to learn to say, how are you different, in fact, better than a thousand other people? And if you can do that, then doors will open. And so we perfect that a lot and keep changing it. Don't always hit a home run. But I find that only when I'm successful 
at convincing people that there's there's no alternative to one day university. Either work with us or don't work with anybody. Only when I can convince people of that does the partnership fall into place. But many, many of them have, I'm glad to say. And when, well, two questions. One is, um, how do you typically articulate your value proposition right now when you're going to a partner? What, what do you say about one day university to make them realize that they need to work with you? There are a million people offering educational talks. Maybe not a million, but an awful lot. Every school, every church, every temple, every group everywhere. So there's so much out there. You could do this all day for 24 hours for years. People's time is valuable. And unless they're trying to get ahead in work or a degree that qualifies them for something, which is a whole different business than ours, if they're just doing this for the same reason they would go to a Broadway show or a museum, then you have to entertain them. And you have to say right up front to your instructor, you got to be fun. You got to get people say, that was great. I hope the next guy's as good as you. And I don't think anyone else is really doing that. We, we obsess about titles. We will try out four or five different titles and we run little online focus groups because the same course called one thing or another thing can triple the enrollment. Most actual schools don't obsess about the title of the course, but we really do obsess. And I think that's why when people look at our offerings, a reasonable amount say, oh, these look pretty interesting. Because you need that or they'll just turn off. I think that's what distinguishes us from others. And then finally, you know, we get compared to a master class a lot. And I think we're one and two in this area. They're up, they're bigger than we are. And I always, you know, I try and distinguish by saying, we don't look for celebrities. We look for the best possible professor. And the example I sometimes give is, you know, they have Aaron Sorkin teaching screenwriting. There's no better screenwriter in the world than Aaron Sorkin. So if you're making a movie, get him. He's fantastic. Is he a great teacher? Different question. We work with someone who is sort of a star on his campus and everybody wants to take his classes to learn about screenwriting. His name is Mark Lapidula, but most people don't know that name. At Yale, all the film students know the name though. And that's who we want. That's sort of the difference. Uh, to two great points there. Um, one about, you know, often the people who have the most expertise, the most experience may not know a thing about teaching, you know, as you're, as you're indicating, and we run into that all the time. And I think that focus on, you know, what you call things, how you name them, testing out those titles, not enough of that happens. So I think that is definitely a, a great practice. I mean, have you had partnerships that have not panned out and, and to the extent that you have why? What do you want to try to avoid in, in a partner to keep it from, from falling apart? I like talking about successes more than failures, but I will say our audience is not under 30. Our audience is not people who are totally busy bringing up their kids or people who are really working to get ahead at work. It's a younger group. There, there's no benefit to one day university except it's good for your brain. When we've partnered with groups that had objectives different than ours, it wasn't so successful. 
when we partner with groups that tend to cater to the very people we're looking for, it's been more effective. And as I say, our, our group is bigger than niche. I don't think it's mass market. It's certainly in the many millions. And one of the publishers we worked with pointed out, there's a new, vibrant, healthy, intellectually curious 65-year-old born every eighth of a second in this country. And so that's a pretty big market to go after. Well, speaking of markets, uh, you know, you and I are talking as part of a series we're doing on um, you know, what we're calling the learning business MBA. So what it takes for a learning business to succeed as a business. And when, when you think about that, you know, think about what it takes for a learning business to succeed, I mean, what kinds of skills, knowledge, behavior come to mind based on your own experience? If you're in the business that we're in, for people who are truly educators to provide information so that people can do their job better, can be a better coder or computer programmer or gardener or physicist or whatever, it's different. And I, I understand that's not the business I've ever had much to do with. But if people are doing this and don't have to, then you better not forget that people need to enjoy themselves. It has to be fun. It can't go on too long. It has to sound interesting, and then it has to deliver on being an interesting, and it has to seem sort of unique. And people's time are valuable, so that if you when we sell one day university, we sometimes say, if you've ever been to an event where an incredibly well credentialed speaker is incredibly boring, and everyone shakes their head and said, yeah, I've been to some of those, then you know what, what our mission is. Our mission is to never let that happen. Not saying it doesn't happen sometimes, but we really try not to. It is interesting because, I mean, you're drawing a distinction between, you know, those who might be working to ad advance themselves in their career and their work and that sort of thing versus people don't have to. I, I think there probably is a lot of overlap at this point, uh, though, because even even if you're trying to serve people who maybe need to earn some continuing education credit, who are trying to advance, if you're serving them boring stuff that they're not really all that interested in participating in, you know, you're not going to get them. They have other options, basically. Right. When all of us read the statistics of people who start these things and then drop out, and they're enormously high, a key reason is it's not fun. It's not interesting. So unless you have to do it, you'll drop out. If, if it's something you thought would be good for you, probably would be good for you, but this is like, you know, pulling teeth, you're going to lose those people. So we really work, try to work, to make it enjoyable. You, and again, you can usually tell 30 seconds into a professor's talk whether they're into it and they're going to be fun and entertaining and interesting or not. It's, it's not hard to figure it out pretty quickly. So, you know, out of what I've been hearing from you in terms of those sort of, you know, business skills, knowledge, behavior, uh, whatever, I mean, it sounds like what, I don't know if you've studied it or if it comes to you naturally, you've just developed the abilities over the years, but certainly sounds like marketing is very important and probably in a, just an, an attention to details or just sort of production values, getting the right content in the right way. Is what I'm saying resonating, that sort of marketing and, and, and production side of things? I would say yes. I'll also say that the phrase, every company is only as good as their technology, really is true. If I were in charge of the technology of our company, we would be out of business. No two ways about it. 
but I work with some people who are very good at that. And you need that because that, that's the world we live in now. So don't, don't neglect that part. If the sound isn't good, if it comes across crackly, you lose people. You know, just everything. Keeping track of your data, using it to evaluate things, doing business the way by the seat of your pants, the way people did once before, just doesn't work. And I'm not saying I understand all this stuff, but get people who do. Actually, two lines of follow-up I wanted to have there because, I mean, it sounds like I was going to ask you about sort of the relationship between technology, you know, and a, and a successful learning business. I mean, I think there's probably any business has to have uh, the right people with the right understanding of technology, but but the learning business has its own, you know, sort of specific types of technology. I mean, it sounds like getting that right in, in your mind is very important. So you have to have the right people there to, to do that. And then related to that is that idea of, of getting the right people. We've talked about marketing. We've talked about sort of the production, attention to, to detail and, and producing the right things. We've talked about technology some, but you have to have the right people there to do all of that. So, I mean, how have you, how have you managed to kind of build the team you need to find the people and to help to the extent you needed to cultivate and, and develop those people over time? My business partner is a little younger than me, but roughly my age. And we had worked together at for the learning annex when I was there. And he had a graphic design background and we needed that. And he had a real good business mind. So he was a great partner and we still work together. Beyond that, almost everyone we have was hired right out of college. And I'm actually not a huge believer in finding people who've developed skills over the years and now you need them looking for people who can learn really fast and have the right attitude and can communicate well. So uh, the people we've interviewed and brought in, they, they still laugh at what they had to go through. Talk to them. I ask them if they like movies. Everyone, of course, says yes. I say, why don't you tell me about a movie you saw that you loved and make me want to see the movie? And then they start to answer. And I say, no, 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 think about it a minute. Because this is the first and maybe the most important question of the interview. And they think about it. And some of them come back and they just do a great job. And some of them just fumble and don't communicate it well. And I don't know what they're talking about. And that often is the indicator right there. Look for people who can communicate well, who have sort of a sense of humor, who look like they'll work well with others. You can just tell. And they'll they may know nothing on day one, but by day 60, they'll know a lot. I love that question. I might have to use that uh, myself. It's always, yeah, it's, it's amazing how revealing something like that can be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're shocked, but it's, they're so shocked when I say, no, 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 think about it a little, because it's a very important question. I also should say, I often say, T take a minute to tell me. So some people answer and they just ramble seven or eight minutes, and that tells you something. And some people just say, Wizard of Oz, it was great. That tells me nothing. And I'm like, well, you had 55 more seconds, use them. And it's that sort of thing. It's a little quirk of mine, I guess. You let them organize their thoughts. The ability to know how to handle something after two seconds instead of 30 seconds is not an ability one has to test. Yeah, definitely. I love that too. In the, in the context of, sort of your business, your learning business, the, the movie question, and I mean, other questions could serve this purpose. Um, but I mean, you've, you've, you've said unabashedly that you're, you're 
as much in the entertainment business as you are in, in the learning business. So I think asking somebody to, you know, kind of riff off of a piece of entertainment. You know what? In fact, if they don't know, if they are like, because that can happen. I say, okay, forget the movie. Tell me about a book. Tell me about a Broadway show. Tell me about a golf course. I don't care what they talk about. I just want to hear them talk about it. And that, that usually opens them up. Well, great. Well, maybe as we're starting to wind up here, you know, when you think about others out there who are listening, who are in the learning business in one way or the other, some of them may be serving an audience similar to yours. Some of them are much more focused on that professional audience who are, you know, trying to get ahead and, and work in the world and that sort of thing. But re- kind of regardless, I mean, what other advice might you have for anybody who wants to kind of grow, take their business to the next level? Because you've obviously taken, you know, one day university from an idea to into, you know, all sorts of directions over time. Get lucky. That's that's the first thing. But second thing also is most most of the growth we had has come through partnerships. And there's almost some, but any two businesses, not every time, but many, many times, there's a way to structure things so that both sides will be glad they went into this deal. And when people say, we, we eventually had working relationships with 59 different media companies, newspapers mostly. And when people say, why those 59? I say, well, those are the 59 that answered my email. Why weren't we in Georgia? Because I must have tried 30 times to get in touch with media companies there and they would never answer my calls. So if someone reaches out to you, answer it. It's only five, especially with Zoom now, it's only five minutes. And even if you're not sure up front, what the arrangement can be. After you talk to someone, usually it's there. We're working now. We had a really successful promotion with the Sacramento Bee. Now we're working with Boston Magazine and Philadelphia Magazine. We've worked with temples, churches, JCCs, uh, libraries, women's clubs, men's club. We had a really good promotion with a Volvo dealer in New Jersey. The opportunities are there if you communicate. And really, Zoom has made it a lot easier to communicate. Stephen Shragas is founder and director of One Day University. You can learn more about One Day U at onedayu.com. Stephen also invites you to contact him directly at stephen at onedayu.com. He's happy to talk about his experience making learning entertaining and appealing. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 283, you'll find show notes, a transcript, and other resources. You'll also find options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss future episodes, we encourage you to subscribe. And subscribing also helps us get some data on the impact of the podcast. We would be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. So Lisa and I personally appreciate it. And those reviews and ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 283, there are links to find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.